New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. Today I'm hosting Michael Mead, and he's the creator of the CD set and book called Finding Genius in Your Life. Michael, welcome to the New Dimensions Cafe. Good to be here. It's good to have you. What do you mean when you advise us to stand with our genius? What does that mean? Well, I'm using genius in its original meaning, its original sense that a person is born with an internal, interior spirit. Genius is a spirit. A genie is a related word. And it's the unique spirit of a person. It's what makes a person unique. And when a person awakens to their spirit, when they tap into it, they become more fully themselves and they actually have a place to stand. In other words, it's not that you have to create that place in the outside. That's true also, but you take a stance inside yourself. And so no matter what the age, no matter what the circumstances a person might find themselves in, the genius in them knows more than them, more than us, what our life is about And it knows what we're aimed at and what the purpose in our soul is. And it's the kind of cohering element of the gifts, talents, styles, and inclinations that are natural to us. Genius is part of our nature. Everyone, when they're acting in touch with their nature, is a genius to some degree. And I'm saying all the time now, what the world needs is more of this genius, more of this awakened sense of self. It's not necessarily related to one's IQ. No, IQ is something that actually came as a very wicked history, IQ. (laughs) Oh, tell us. (laughs) Reveal to us that wicked history. Well, it came from people trying to purify ethnicities in order to make pure races. That's how it started. And they thought if they could purify, then they could get high intelligence. And so someone applied the word genius to that. But it's a misapplication because genius can have emotional intelligence. It can have what I call narrative intelligence. It can have inspirations of all kinds. It includes all the arts. It includes the capacity to be sympathetic and compassionate. Some people are geniuses at compassion. And we need them a lot. (laughs) And so genius is this wide ranging uh, and it's connected to the muses and the muses are the source of music and their source of museums and their source of amusing. And so geniuses are funny and we see that with great comedians, but a genius also can be very serious in, in the sense of knowing how to deal with serious issues, but it's always unique. And when they condensed it and kind of diminished it to IQ, they restricted it to abstract intelligence and they restricted it to something that can be measured. And genius cannot be measured by its very definition. It's a spirit. Therefore, it can't be measured, nor can it be contained, nor can it be told what to do. 
And so a lot of kids in school, when they're acting rebellious, it's really their genius trying to find a way to get into the world. And people misunderstand it and think that they're bad or misbehaving when really, if you pay close attention, something's trying to come out of them. Well, you have a background of being bad and misbehaving in school. (laughs) So I've heard. Wow. Uh, But you also were a good student. And so you've been there. You you know it. You know these young people. People when they're yeah. kind of busting out at the seams. So say yeah. something about that. A teacher or a mentor or anybody who cares for a young person can do tremendous things for them. Uh, I was raised in Catholic schools, and in the in grade school I was in, you were sat in the order of your grades. And then if you misbehave, you automatically were at the back. And uh, one day they were giving out the grades, and the, the nun who was teaching us, who was a really sweet person, who revealed her whole story to us one day. But she said, class, we have a problem because Michael, by his grades, qualifies for the first seat, but by his actions qualifies for the last seat. (laughs) And she said, this is throwing the system upside down. And she said, so what I've decided is to put him in the first seat because we want him to be a leader for the good and not get too caught in the bad behavior. Wow. Yeah. Was that pivotal for you? That was really meaningful to me. Teachers see the genius of students. Mentors see the genius of young people. And, you know, to whatever degree, you know, it's true, she had seen leadership qualities in me. And she named it to the whole class of all those little kids. And she said, we're putting him in the first seat that his genius could go forward in a good way. I've never forgotten that. I was stunned. She was breaking all the rules. And she went on. She said, I've been told when someone misbehaves, and we're talking about Michael again, she said that I am to, um, you know, punish them. She said, I have uh, at home three brothers, and I would never want to see them be hurt by anyone. I refuse to punish children the way I'm being told. And tears came to her eyes. It was profound. And she said, I would rather encourage everyone. You know, it was real teaching, real teaching. And I was 10 years old, maybe, or 11, but it went right into me. And, you know, it's interesting. When I I work with a lot of troubled kids, I work with suicidal kids, homeless kids, gang kids, and I try to approach every one of them that way. And you've said that, like, now the statistics are that more kids are dying, let's say gang member kids are dying of suicide rather than gang member shootings and things. Something very troubling and heavy is going on. So I've been working more and more with suicidal uh, young people in what I call white fog communities. So when we're working in the hood or the barrio, we call it the red fog. It's the red fog of violence, very similar to the red fog of war. And so everybody's in this cloud of overheated anger, violence flaring up all the time. The the tension of the world resulting from huge climatic changes, huge cultural changes is affecting everyone. It's cultural anxiety and fear, you could call it. There's a collective level of cultural anxiety. So the police are on edge. And so you never know who's actually causing the trouble. And when they sort it all out, maybe everybody's, but really everybody's just feeling the rattling of the world. So when it goes towards violence, then we call that the red fog. But when it goes towards isolation, depression, and self-rejection and self-loathing, we call it the white fog. And so you have some communities that are erupting in violence or erupting in crime and all that kind of stuff, red fog. But when you get to the suburbs and you get to the more educated communities and communities 
that have opportunities, you get a lot of white folk. You have a lot of white young people who are lost in the internet and they're lost in their personal devices, as they call them, and they're lost in depression and they're lost in self-negation. And so the suicide rate in white communities has, amongst young people has been going up steadily. You know, suicide's contagious, so you have to get in and stop it. Or you can get... Suicide is contagious. Yeah, yeah. Think about it this way. If you're with a bunch of young people, I just went through this, it's not even over, in, in a certain community where a popular girl or boy, you know, everyone likes her, she gets good grades or something, and he or she commits suicide. It swings the door of death open. And then other young people are going to go, well, I'm not like that. I'm not as good as her. If she's killing herself, I might do it too. And I'm not saying it happens right away, but if you don't close the door of death, it can keep happening. And I've been in a number of communities where that has happened. So I was working on a project with those issues when I went to a meeting with people that I've worked with for years in the ghetto, in the hood. And there the issue is usually red fog and violence. And everybody started saying, now they're going from homicide to suicide. It's as if there is a deepening of the despair in the culture. And there's always been suicide in the hood. There's suicide by cop, where uh, someone will, will shoot at the cops in the expectation of getting killed. But I have seen this in working with kids on the street, and now I'm hearing it from other people doing it, that there's an increase of suicide in places where you used to get the acting out into the red fog. Now you're getting more of the collapsing in. So what is standing with your genius? How is this helpful? Because I know that you're really working on this genius project. There's two reasons. One reason I could either act out and destroy things is because I feel destroyed inside. I mean, you know, psychology plays out. And one reason I could destroy myself is because I feel I'm worthless and I'm empty. And I have found in both the communities of, of where there's more violence and more erupting energies and in those where there's more isolation, rejection and depression and withdrawal, that they're both suffering from the same thing, not knowing that I'm already valuable as myself right now, right here, like that nun made me feel that day. She saw those two parts of me. I, I'm still a troublemaker, you know, <laughs> and I study all the time. And those were two legitimate parts of me. If we want to call that part of the spirit in me, part of the genius in me, all right, let's call it I was it going that. to say, your genius is troublemaking, huh? Well, yeah, you yeah. Know, and, but you've turned it into a positive good in culture, in society. I'm more effective when there's trouble. If there's no trouble, I'll start it just to be effective, you know. So, I mean, this is the nature of one's spirit, you know. So once I realize that about myself, and when you awaken to it, you realize I'm going to live with this the rest of my life. This actually knows more about my life than me. I'm trying to find this path that's unfolding from within. So rather than just trying to say, okay, I'm going to suppress this and I'm going to be a good boy and I'm going to act out the way society seems to want me to act out. But then there's no fire there. There's yeah, you no lose the fire and you either get depressed. And so, you know, one day you just blow up and no one knows why. So what I found with young people, and, and strangely enough, when they're in trouble, they're closer to their genius. They just are. And so instead of approaching them as they're doing something wrong, I approach them as if they're about to discover what they're here for. And You're not afraid for them. That's another part of it. 
you have a kind of confidence. <laughs> well, I just see everybody as having a soul that has come here to live meaningfully and to give something to life. I mean, I have all my own frailties and I get mixed up and I do the wrong things. But if I'm working with someone and I know I'm trying to help, I try to trust their soul. Because if I don't trust their soul, how could they trust their soul? That's the true sort of mentoring genius to genius that you're talking about. That's the real mentoring. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, something's trying to awaken in everybody. I mean, it's interesting telling that story of the classroom with that nun who's willing to say right in front of a bunch of children, here's what means something. And I'm looking at you and I'm seeing you as real people already. See, that's what genius means. It's already in there. I don't have to be taught about self-worth. I just have to find the worth that's in myself. I call that the second level of education. First level, socialize and instruct. Everybody has to get some of that. Second level is awaken what's in there, you know, and then work with that. I mean, that's the gift. That's the, you know, it's the gift awakening and it's the gift that education gives to young people. And as we were talking of earlier, that calling to that Genius happens throughout one's life. The calling never stops calling, and people can awaken in their 70s or in their 60s. It doesn't matter. All along, this genius is trying to awaken and come out. And it doesn't solve all the problems in the world, but it gets one more person moving in a meaningful way, and that does eventually solve some things. Michael, I want to thank you so much for being part of the New Dimensions Cafe today. My pleasure. It's a great cafe. I recommend it to everybody. Great. Me too. I've been speaking with mythologist and storyteller Michael Mead. He's the author of Finding Genius in Your Life. And if you'd like to know more about his work, you can go to his website, mosaicvoices.org, mosaicvoices.org. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I'd like to thank you for joining us on the New Dimensions Cafe and invite you, please do join us again. You've been listening to the New Dimensions Cafe. This series of shorter interviews features many of the remarkable guests also featured on our internationally syndicated one-hour New Dimensions radio series. To access more than a thousand hours of programs, to subscribe to our newsletters, or to become a member, please visit us at newdimensions.org. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support.